listening to the official podcast of the Mission Redlands. We are a growing community living out God's radical love. So we're going to be continuing our series on this whole topic of prayer. And this Sunday we'll be looking at the, uh, this role of Scripture in prayer. How do we use Scripture in prayer? And I, and I have to tell you, about, it was probably about a month ago when Jason came to me and, and asked me about uh, considering doing this sermon in the series. And, and it was my busiest time of the year at school. And I'm like really reluctant to take it on. I'm like, what do I really know about this topic? And, and then, uh, I guess it was about three or four weeks ago now, and, and Jason gives the first sermon in the series. And it was powerful. And I, I was very convinced. Convicted, like this is a really important series. So yes, Jason, I'll take it on, and then I have to prepare it. So then that gets challenging again. But um, some of my uh, reluctance in doing this is this: just thinking about like what is prayer? You know, prayer is just a conversation with God, right? And you think about the best conversations we have in sort of a human context, and that's when we share sort of our own thoughts and our own ideas and our own feelings to this other individual with whom we're talking. So as I was thinking about that, it's like, well, then how in the world does the scripture come into our prayers? How do we use scripture in prayers? And I thought back to a story that happened uh, in my life uh, where, which is a good illustration of it. And I just want to share it with you because it's just a powerful uh, illustration of the fact that uh, Scripture plays a very important part uh, when it comes to our prayer life. As many of you know, uh, Jody and I were uh, part of the uh, refounding of the King's College in New York City. The King's College is a Christian college uh, there in the city. And it had actually closed in 1994, and in 1998, the largest Christian ministry in the world uh, made a decision, had felt the leading of the Lord, and wanted to uh, reopen the King's College in New York City and uh, repurpose the, the school in some ways as well. And uh, in that process, the first step in it is that you, they had to raise $100,000 to take the school through, uh, take the college through bankruptcy. And the big reason for wanting to do this is that in the state of New York, you have to have a charter in order to open a college. It's very different than California. California, if you want to do, start a college, you just throw up a shingle and you have a college. But in New York, it's a very regulated market, and you have to have this charter. And the nice thing about it is once you have this charter in place as a college, you actually also have accreditation through their uh, New York State Board of Regents. So it was sort of a big deal for them to be able to acquire it. Well, you know, this, this is this lofty, crazy idea that they have, and nobody really gets behind it. So they struggle to raise this $100,000. The, the key guy on this project is a guy named Stan, and he actually has to borrow money to do it. So this is not a very auspicious start. And a few months later, just about the time that uh, I was getting involved with the project, um, the leadership of the school uh, was, was uh, were studying the word, I think even two different people uh, on their own, and came across this concept from Scripture. You can see it in 1 Samuel 12, uh, 22, and it's this idea that, uh, God, when you respond, don't do respond just for us, do it for your great name's sake. And that became the prayer of our leadership group at the school, that God, you know, we want you to do this thing. This would be a powerful thing, but don't do it for us. Do it for your great name's sake. And that prayer was said many, many times uh, during this time period. And shortly after that, this gentleman comes to the, uh, gets connected with us in some kind of way and says, hey, listen, I'd love to give you a $5 million gift. 
And he said, but there's one catch to it. You have to match this gift. Well, here's this little school that hadn't been able to raise $100,000 eight months ago, and now we have to raise $5 million in order to be able to secure the $5 million that had been given. And so it looked like absolutely impossible, but we kept praying that prayer. And uh, the six-month deadline that he'd given us keeps getting closer and closer, and the couple that were uh, providing the leadership towards the end of that time, they were scheduled to go to this prayer conference. Uh, it was probably about three weeks before the six months were over. Uh, they were going to the conference. Hey, maybe this is going to be the place where God works in this situation. Wouldn't that be great? They go through the whole weekend, and it was, sort of, it was good. It was a really good time, but nothing was happening towards this goal. At the end of the weekend, as they were getting ready to go back to the airport to fly back to where they lived... They ended up sharing a cab with this elderly lady. They don't think much about it. They chat with her, talk with her, have this conversation with her, tell her, tell her a little bit about the college and, and what was going on and this hope for the future, because really there was no college at this point. And um, they drop her off at the airport. They go on their way to the airport, their own flight as well. And uh, a few days later, this lady contacts them again and says, hey, I was really struck by what you shared, and I'd like to provide $5 million to match that gift that you had. And because of what she'd done, that $5 million and the small amount of money that had been raised now became $12 million. And over the next probably 8 to 12 months, we ended up raising $40 million to rebuild the King's College in New York City. And I say that because it was a, in my own life, and I don't even know why I hesitated when Jason asked me about it, because here's this powerful example of the power of praying God's word. And uh, he did something not for our glory, but for his great name's sake. And that's what his promise was from scripture. So I want to begin today just looking, by, looking at three reasons why praying scripture makes sense. So first of all, it serves as a model for our own prayers. Think about it this way. So uh, oftentimes in church, maybe even sometimes in our church, there's a recitation of the Lord's Prayer. And the Lord's Prayer begins with Jesus saying to the disciples, pray like this. And he goes on, our Father who art in heaven, and so on. And, and so it becomes this model for our own prayers. Um, also, the whole call to worship. So oftentimes when our worship team is here on stage and they're beginning their process of drawing our church into worship, there may be, uh, they may use scripture in order to do that. Oh, Lord, how worthy is your name. You are worthy to be praised. And they, they lead us into worship with that, that use of scripture. Um, a third way is the blessing at the end of the service. So Jason, oftentimes when he finishes the service, will get up and give a final blessing over our congregation. And oftentimes he'll use a, a direct uh, blessing that's found in scripture. Sometimes he'll use, a, use that as a model for his own prayer as well. So this, this aspect that it makes sense to use scripture in our talking to God can be seen in the fact that it serves as a model for our own prayers. Second thing it does is it allows us to use somebody else's words to capture the ideas and thoughts that we have. Because sometimes when we try to communicate something, it gets misunderstood. So last week I was uh, chaperoning our senior trip from our school. And uh, the last day of the trip, we, were we took a group of students to Knott's Berry Farm. 
And uh, I, you know, as soon as you get there, the kids leave you behind and they're having a grand old time. And I'm hanging out with a young couple who are, uh, a young couple at our school who are also chaperones on the trip. And we get into this one line uh, for a ride. And as we got up close to the uh, end of the ride, you're not quite sure what to do, but there's these stanchion areas where you sort of queue up to be able to go onto the ride. And I, I get into this one line, and they go into the next line, so that the thought being that we could ride together. And there's this group of high school kids in front of me, not our high school, but some other kids that were in front of us. And uh, I suddenly realized, oh, it may be that four of us can sort of go on the ride at the same time. So I turned to my friends who were a little ways away, and I said to them, hey, if four people get to ride on this ride at the same time, I'll go on the ride with you. Right? It makes a lot of sense. Well, the, these two high school boys, about 14, 15 years old in front of me, think I'm talking to them. So these two boys do this like really awkward look at each other thing and they look back at me, uh, okay. <laughs> and you can just see them thinking, that dude is creepy. Who's this guy that wants to ride on the ride with us? And, uh, and you know, like stranger danger, you know, all those alert things were going on. So it's just an example that sometimes when we're trying to communicate something, it can be misunderstood. And so sometimes we might use somebody else's words in order to communicate the thoughts and ideas that we have. And you can always think about this in the context of when we were young and in love and wanted to share our, uh, share our love for uh, this person that we're deeply in love with. We uh, sometimes would use a poem or something that somebody else has written in order to communicate those thoughts and ideas that we had. And it's the same way in our prayer life, that God's word has provided things for us that could be the same thoughts and ideas and emotions that we want to share and express to God. So sometimes we use scripture as a means of being able to do that. Third reason that using scripture in prayer makes sense is that we can actually lay claim to a prayer that someone else has given and sort of claim its content as ridiculous or claim some aspect of scripture uh, as making sense within this particular situation. God, you've promised this, and now I thank you for providing this for us. Um, And we know we can do that because God has promised that his word will not return void. So there's sort of three reasons why it makes sense to think about using scripture within prayer. What I want to do now is I want to turn towards uh, seeing how the model prayer that God has given us through the Lord's Prayer, how it can show us the different kinds of prayer and then how we can use scripture in each of those aspects of prayer. So we're going to take a look at Matthew chapter 6, and we'll be looking at the Lord's Prayer that's found in verses 9 through 13. And you're very familiar with this, I know. Matthew chapter 6, verse, beginning in verse 9. Pray then like this. This is Christ talking. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So there's sort of four aspects of prayer that can be seen in this model prayer that Christ has given us. The first one is it begins with what we call adoration. This recognition of God for who God really is. Of deserving of our praise, of deserving of our respect, of deserving of the honor that we can give him. Because it begins with this. It says, our Father in heaven, hallowed, how holy, how to be lifted up is your name. 
And we have lots of examples within scripture of of prayers or or verses or passages that capture that same sense of adoration. And I'll focus on several in the book of Psalms. What I'm going to do with them is I'm going to just go through them. We're not going to spend a lot of time talking about any one of the particular passages, but I want you to see in the breadth of what we share, the wealth of, of, uh, of uh, passages of scripture that exist that can enhance your prayer life and can capture thoughts that you may want to share as well. So we're going to begin first just looking at Psalm uh, 8. Psalm 8 says, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babes and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you've made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the work of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen and all the beasts of the field and the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea, whoever passes along the paths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all of the earth. And sometimes these verses of adoration capture the sense of great gratitude that we should have as well. We see that in Psalm 7, verse 17. I will give to the Lord the thanks due his righteousness, and I will sing praise to the name of the Lord, the Most High. Um, Psalm 18, verses 1 to 3. Another example of what we're talking about here. Uh, Psalm 18, verses 1 to 3. I love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer. My God and my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised, and I am saved from my enemies. Or again in Psalm 19, verses 7 through 10. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. And then jumping down to verse 14, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Um, So these passages just capture this sense of adoration that we're to have for God, and we can use them in our prayers. I mean, we can use them just by reciting them, uh, reading them, uh, or they can become a prayer uh, perhaps a little bit like this. God, I'm so grateful to you that your law is perfect. Lord, it it revives me. It restores who I am. Lord, I thank you that I can trust it, that you are true. Lord, I thank you that through it I can gain wisdom. And that's just taking that passage and making it my prayer directly to God can be very, uh, very powerful. Uh, We see this also in, in Psalm 100. Where he says, make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name for the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. So our adoration of God comes through and our gratitude uh, for what he's done for us. 
But that's not all that's in the Lord's Prayer. The next lines in the Lord's Prayer uh, say, um, I'll just jump back over there. In Matthew chapter 6, the Lord's Prayer there says, uh, next verses say, Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And this is a section that I always think relates to the conflict between the now and the not yet. This reality that what exists within our world today is broken and messed up. It was not the way God made it originally, but because of man's choices, the fact that we chose sin, that we chose to do bad things, that world is fractured. It's broken. It's not the way that God intends it to be. So it changes our prayers because now we want this world to become more and more of what God wants it to be through his kingdom. That's what's referenced here. Um, And it's the fact that our desire should be that his will be done. And that's not an easy thing. We can struggle with that. We see a great example of this in what's sometimes called the real Lord's Prayer because it's God's prayer, uh, Christ's prayer, uh, the night before he is uh, crucified. And we see this in Luke chapter 22, just a portion of it. There's a longer version given in John 17, I believe. Luke chapter 22, uh, starting in verse 39 And it says there, and he, meaning Jesus, came out and went, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives, and the disciples followed him. And when he came to the place, he said to them, pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. So what he's asking for in this prayer, he's saying, Lord, when he says this cup from me, he knows what his destiny is. And it it's hurts on both parts of who he is. From the human perspective, he knows he's going to die a horrible death uh, at the hands of the, the Romans and the Jewish leaders in this in crucifixion that he'll undergo. But even the godly part of who he is knows that he's about to have the sins of the whole world poured out on him. Here he's been uh, he's completely holy because he's God. He's been, lived a sinless life, and he knows his destiny is to have the sins of the world poured out on him, and it's horrible uh, punishment for him. And what's his response? It's the same response that we should have as we pray difficult things. Nevertheless, Lord, not my will be done, but your will be done. And that's the same model that over and over again, uh, as you're praying scripture, this is something that you can be praying You pray for something, and you're not sure what God's will is as it relates to it. It's something difficult that you've made a petition about, and your prayer becomes, nevertheless, Lord, not my will be done, but your will be done. Third part of the Lord's Prayer, where he says, give us this day our daily bread. It's this idea of petition. And all petition is is asking uh, for God to meet the needs of someone else or to meet our own needs. And so petition is an important part of prayer. In fact, a lot of times when you think about prayer, that's what you think about is petition. And we can see this several places in Scripture as well. Um, I'm going to jump back into the Psalms in chapter 3. And a lot of this fits, but I'm particularly going to point us to verse 7, where he says, Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God. So he's talking about a situation that he's facing with enemies, and his prayer, his petition is asking God to save him, to rescue him from the situation that he is in. Uh, we see this in First Chronicles chapter 4 as well. And we'll be uh, focused on verses 9 and 10. But First Chronicles chapter 4 is sort of one of those verses, one of those chapters of the Bible that's easy to sort of want to like skip right through because mostly it's talking about this guy named Judah and all of his descendants. And it pauses in the middle of this 
boring uh, description of all of his family to highlight an individual named Jabez, and it actually tells a little narrative about him. We don't know much about him other than what's in this little passage, uh, but it's a really neat example of a prayer of petition. It said, uh, in verse 9, Jabez was more honorable than his brothers, and his mother called him Jabez, saying, because I bore him in pain. The word, uh, the Hebrew word for pain is actually a homonym for Jabez, so they sound alike, so this is why his mother uh, named him that. Uh, Jabez called upon the Lord of Israel, saying, Oh, that you would bless me and enlarge my border, and that your hand might be with me, and that you would keep me from harm, so that it might not bring me pain. And uh, you might be familiar, I think it was probably 15, 20 years ago, there was a little book written called The Prayer of Jabez, and it was a, uh, taking this passage of Scripture and sort of trying to help people uh, understand how to apply it. Uh, and one of the applications of it is the whole concept of enlarge my borders, and it's this idea of making our ministry be greater. So we might pray the same thing. Oh, Lord, as a church, as a mission church, please enlarge our borders. Please allow us to have greater impact in this community uh, and even around the globe. So to be a way of, of praying this prayer of Jabez ourselves. And then um, Philippians uh, chapter 4 is, is another example of petition. And it's a reminder of the importance of it. And we see this in verses 6 and 7 in Philippians chapter 4. Uh, Paul says there, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So this is a reminder about the fact that we should be bringing our petitions, our requests before God. And it starts with this reality that it says, don't be anxious, anxious about anything. What's our tendency as human beings? We get worried about things, we get nervous about things, we get anxious about things, we dwell on them, and it keeps coming back in our mind, and our mind, and our mind, and then God gives us the contrast to it. He says, don't do that, and instead, bring all your requests, bring your prayer, your needs, your petitions before me. And he doesn't say in this passage, and I think this is really neat, he doesn't say, hey, and I'm gonna do it for you. I got it, it's got it covered. What he says instead is that the peace of God this peace that we can't understand is going to guard our hearts and minds. So it's going to protect us in this thing, not because every prayer gets answered the exact way we want it to, but because in going to God and in bringing our petitions and our requests to him, he provides a kind of peace that the world really does not understand. Then the last aspect of the um, Lord's Prayer that I wanted to mention here says, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. That's actually, I think, big news this week, right? I don't know if any of you saw this, but the Pope uh, has changed the wording on that last portion, and some Catholics and others might have been up in arms about it, but he actually did the right thing. The interpretation of the passage, God, Christ does not, God does not lead us, he doesn't tempt us. We're tempted because we're human beings with, with fallen natures. We're tempted in that way. And we see this a lot of other places in Scripture. In fact, when you look at that passage that says, lead us not in temptation, if you're doing any kind of study on it, every uh, evangelical scholar that I looked at had the same exact interpretation as the Pope did on it. So um, he doesn't need to be criticized, uh, at least in this particular case. So it's a good thing. Um, but this whole aspect of confession uh, is, is important because it's where we 
say to God, the things that I've done wrong, I know offend you. I know you can't have sin in your presence. I know that the sin that I've done, the bad things I've done, have caused my relationship with you to be fractured. And so all we do in confession is we admit to God that what we're doing is wrong. It's this aspect of of saying to him, hey, I recognize that what I've done is wrong. And again, we can use uh, scripture in those kinds of prayers. Um, I'm going to start with 1 John chapter 1 and jump to verse 9. This is one I've used many times in my life. It says there, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This is an example of a passage that when I've sinned, I'll often claim this first as I pray to God. God, I know that what I've done is wrong, and I'm so grateful that as I confess this to you that you're willing to forgive this, forgive me for this. Or another passage of scripture that says that when we uh, confess our sins, he takes our sins and puts them as far as the east is from the west. He remembers our sins no more. What an incredible thing. Our tendency as human beings is we continue to dwell on the things that we did wrong and why it was so wrong and feel so beaten up and oppressed. And what God's word tells us is that when we confess to him, he forgives us and he doesn't even remember them anymore. He doesn't hold them, hold us, hold them against us at all. Uh, another take on this kind of uh, um, understanding of confession and use of scripture in confession and prayer can be found in Jonah uh, chapter one. And in Jonah, I don't know if you remember the story of Jonah, but uh, he was a prophet of God and he was called by God to preach a message of repentance to the uh, people of Nineveh. And Nineveh was the capital city of the big world power of its day, the Assyrian people. And they were known for being extremely cruel, for being, um, you know, just had brought up new forms of torture that had never been thought of before. And, and when they captured nations, it was this new thing that they did where they took people into captivity and would move other people into the territory that they had taken over. So it was just a very... Uh, thought of as being very cruel and Jonah for whatever reason decides there's no way I want to bring a message of repentance to him perhaps he was scared because he knew what they were like or perhaps he really wanted God to punish them and he didn't want to see them brought to repentance but whatever it was Jonah hops in a boat and goes exactly the opposite direction and God wants to get a hold of him so he he raises up a great big storm and the sailors are on their boat are like, oh, this is horrible. What is going on? Somebody on this boat must have done something wrong because there is no way there should be a storm like this. And so they actually cast lots, and the lot falls on Jonah, who happened to be sleeping, I believe, at the time. And so they approach him, and Jonah says, uh, yeah, that's right. I did something. I offended the God of the universe, the one true God, and God has raised up this storm. He has power to do that, and I'm being punished for it. You need to throw me overboard. And they wrestle with this decision. It's not what they want to do, and they give a prayer, which I think is interesting because here's these people who do not know the one true God, and they, just from the little amount that Jonah shared with them, they actually pray to the one true God of the universe. And what do they say in verse 14? They call out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not on us innocent blood for you, O Lord, have done as it, is, as it pleased you. So in one sense, it's a petition and it's another sense, it's this uh, sense of confession that, hey, we're gonna do something that we don't wanna be punished for. Please forgive us for it. Um, 1 Corinthians ten thirteen is another example. This is another verse that I've had to use many times in my life as well. Uh, 1 Corinthians 10.13 says, No temptation is overtaking you that is not common to man. In other words, every temptation that you're experiencing, somebody else has already experienced it before. 
But it goes on in his promises and says, God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. There's been many times in my life where I've had to, to lay claim to this passage and say, God, you promised in your word that uh, there's gonna be a way out. I don't see it right now, but make it clear to me. Or God, you promised to not tempt me beyond what I'm able. Give me the ability right now to withstand this temptation that I'm facing. So I just wanna wrap up. We sort of looked at this Lord's Prayer. We looked at how we can use scriptures and all the elements that are part of the Lord's Prayer. I wanna just sort of finish with a bit of a practical examples of how we can do this. And um, in doing this, I see sort of three things that we can do. Um, One aspect of it is that I might often use scripture with how I begin my prayers. Um, I might say, uh, for example, uh, I might begin a prayer by using Psalm 8.1. Oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You've set your glory above the heavens. And so I might use that, that verse of scripture as a way of beginning my prayer to the Lord because it reflects on the adoration that I want to be, uh, have be characteristic of my approach to God that recognizes God for who he is and recognizes me for who I am. Yes, designed to be in relationship with him. Yes, loved by him, but different and separate and less than God himself. So I capture that through uh, that particular passage. Or a second way that we can use scripture in prayer is I might recite a scripture passage as a prayer. I might uh, read you know, a whole set of verses um, I, verse uh, Psalm 9 uh, might be a great example of that. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. I will recount all of your wonderful deeds. I might stop at a moment like that in the prayer and begin to recount the, the great things that God has done for me, the blessings that I can see in my life. Uh, go on, I will be glad and exult in you. I will sing praise to your name, O Most High. So this is like words that can be spoken directly to the, the Lord, and it can be, uh, the whole passage can be a prayer that I would give to him. Or the third way that I might uh, use scripture in prayer is to claim a promise or claim his word. And that example of that is what we saw in that 1 Corinthians 10, where he says that no uh, temptation taking is overtaking you such but what is such as is common to man, uh, and that with a temptation I will provide a way of escape uh, to you. And so that becomes my prayer, right? God, you've promised to me that you'll provide a way out from the situation that I face. Lord, I just would ask that you would make that clear to me. Lord, you promised that you would not tempt me beyond what I'm able. And Lord, I'm asking right now that you would give me strength to withstand this temptation that I'm facing, whatever the particular uh, temptation might be. So um, I began this process today just reflecting on the fact that it isn't necessarily natural to how we think about our conversations with God. I think particularly because uh, we tend to be low church Christians, meaning that we don't have a lot of liturgy in what we do, uh, yet there's a lot of examples and a lot of ways that using scripture in prayer not only makes sense, but allows us to capture thoughts, ideas, and feelings that would be difficult to do otherwise. It allows us to lay claim to the promises that God uh, has made in his word and allows us to, um, to be able to reflect on who he is through the Psalms and through uh, the writings of others in scripture as well. What I wanna do right now is I wanna close in prayer. Uh, I think the worship team will come up and uh, just... Um, Let's just pause and pray.
Oh Lord, how Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name. God, we love you. We are so grateful to what you've done and provided for us. Lord, we are thankful that we can be in relationship with you. We're thankful that you've provided your word and that your word is truth and your word can be used in our communication with you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for that. And God, I just would ask that you would help that come alive uh, for the people in the mission today and this week, Lord. That we would, as we have things that we're concerned about, things that we are burdened by, Lord, that we can bring them to you and use your promises in scripture as a means of doing that, Lord. God, I just would ask that you would uh, challenge us each here to be in fellowship with you, in relationship with you, active in our prayer life. And uh, Lord, I just would ask that in some way, this idea of using scripture and prayer would enhance our communication with you. God, is, uh, we, at this moment, I'd invite our ushers forward. And Lord, as we take this offering today, I just would ask that you would take it and multiply it. And like uh, Jabez, we pray, pray that it would, in, it would enlarge our borders, that would allow us to have greater impact in, in Redlands, Lord, where we live out your radical love, Lord, that would allow us to have a larger impact in this region and even around the world through the missionary families that we support. God, I just would ask that you would uh, take this offering and uh, use it for your glory. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. podcast of The Mission Redlands. For more information, visit us at themissionredlands.com.